0: How many guys are old enough to have a really difficult time picking out Christmas gifts for your children? Because they kind of, they have their own jobs, they have their own lives, even one of them has his own baby. Um, not that I was going to give them that anyway for Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's nothing, there's just nothing else they need. So I went to my son, my 23-year-old son, J.D., who, if you look up the word unique in the encyclopedia, J.D.'s picture is sitting right there, pointing, pointing at it. And I said, what do you want for Christmas? And he said something I'd never heard of before. He said, Dad, I want experiences. And I thought, you know, I'm from the 60s. That means a little something different. What, what do you mean by, by experience? He says, I want to go places. I want to see things. I want to taste food I've never tasted before. I want to meet strangers. I wanna, I want I wanna live, I wanna go have an experience. So would you just, you know, for a gift this year, give me an experience? And I hope he's okay with the experience of disappointment. But we've we've done the best we can. <laughs> we've, He's like, I want to go to Fairbanks, Alaska, at 40 below zero, I want to look up, and I want to see the northern lights. I want, to, I want to go to Reykjavik, Iceland, and eat puffin. I want to, I'm like, what in the world is a puffin? You know what I mean? And why would you eat it? When I looked it up, it's like, that's the cutest animal ever. I mean, they could eat a cat, but a puffin, how in the world <laughs> could you eat a puffin, you know? He said, I want an experience. And really, what, what it said to me was this. I think, I think in our soul, we kind of long for the extraordinary we long for what we've called the last few weeks here the 0.001% of our life those moments that no matter how long we live both good and bad this is a moment that i will just never forget and and we've talked about how the bible is really that it's it's a record of the god-inspired spirit-inspired record of those 0.001% of interaction with God. It's when God speaks to Moses and a law comes out. You know, there's a lot of other moments besides just the speaking of that law. It's when Jesus is born, but there's a lot more than just the moment where Jesus is born. It's the moment where, you know, it's just something extraordinary happens. Somebody was healed. Somebody died. Somebody, somebody was born, and they write it down because this is something, no matter how long mankind lives, we should never forget it. Today, we're going to talk about the .001% of that .001% document. And what God does is He begins to reveal Himself from the very beginning as the God of creation. It says so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everything is just a mess, and there's nothing. But He speaks into the nothing, and He says, Light be, and a hundred billion times a hundred billion galaxies instantaneously burst into unimaginable light. I know some of you say, well, you know, I, I, I understand that, you know, the, the ancient writings and the superstitions of primitive man, but can I tell you something? I, I think that the mystery of how cool God is and how big the universe is has not gotten smaller as we've gotten smarter. I think, I think as we have developed greater and greater technologies, what we realize is it's actually larger than we ever possibly imagine. It's actually bigger than we thought it was. And we got a bigger telescope than Copernicus had. And then we got a bigger telescope. Then we put one up in space, the Hubble, and about, you know, a hundred billion dollars later, and we finally fixed the dumb thing, and it worked. We saw farther and farther and farther into a world that we can't explain. Let me just say this to you guys. God's creation of the universe is so large that I believe it's never-ending. Now, I'm just a simpleton. I got a 1.8 GPA from Lakeland High School, my alma mater. You know what I mean? Uh, you guys have heard this every Christmas Eve. Here it comes again. My sister was brilliant. She graduated Sigma Cum Laude. I was not so much. I graduated, oh, thank you, Laude, by the grace of God. I love Christmas Eve. It's all new, every year, you know. But yeah, I, I, but I've studied. As it turns out, I'm not unintelligent, and as I've gotten older, I've continued to learn, and what I've learned is this, that the universe really doesn't have an end. There is no ending to it. And and you say, well, that's impossible. Nothing is eternal. Nothing goes on forever. But I would say this. if, If it does have an end, my question is simply this. What ended it and what's on the other side of that? No matter what you do, take your finger right now and point in any direction you want. Everybody, take your finger, point in any direction you want. If you're married, point at him. It's his fault. Just point. Know this, that wherever you're pointing... An infinite amount of space goes from the end of your finger and never ends out into a world we don't barely understand. Also understand this. If you were to point that finger inward and say, what is the smallest thing? Not the largest thing, but what's the most minute? What's the most foundational elements we can understand? It would have been just a couple hundred years ago, we didn't understand the biological world of bacteria, single-cell organisms, but we developed, like the telescope, we suddenly developed the microscope and we began to understand how small everything was. And then we began to see that there's actually tinier insects and tinier things and, you know, the 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 stuff that crawls in your mouth in the middle of the night, we don't want to talk about, but it's there, man. It's on your food, it's in your clothes, it's on your bed, and don't... Never mind, you won't sleep with your eyes closed for the rest of your life. I showed you pictures of that. But it even got smaller than that, we began to understand cellular life and then molecular life and then atomic elements and then quarks and boson, you know, molecule. It's... it's Boson particles, we, we began to collide things together, and as it split apart, if we can split it apart. That means it's it made up of other smaller things than even what we thought it was. Atoms coming together at the speed of light, and boom, and they fall apart, and all of a sudden you go, There's a quark. You know, What's a quark? I don't know, but the atom exploded into multiple pieces, and so the atom has to be made out of something, and now they're postulating, and you know, um, you know in theori- the- theological, theoretical physics. That, that even those quarks are made out of something, these little tiny vibrating strings. And they're so minute, in fact, that if, if the atom were the size of our, of our solar system, and I don't know how big that is, but it's big, long ways away, that the single string in string theory would be about the size of the average tree. Like it's getting smaller. And I will tell you this no matter how smart we get, that string, if it exists, is made out of something. And that something is made out of something. And that something, something is made out of something. In other words, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His, His eternal powers, His divine nature have been clearly seen and, and, and understood by what has been created. And he makes this statement. I want you to hear me. Because it's so big, it's unfathomable and eternal, we have to say that's not an accident. Because it's so minute and purposeful, we can't say that's an accident. We see the intelligence of the design, and therefore points to a designer. And he says that men who say there is no creator, they will not have an excuse when they stand before God. Now, that's not supposed to make you feel scared, but let me ask you this. Wouldn't you want to know if there was a creator? Wouldn't you want to know him? Wouldn't you want to know more about him? Wouldn't you want to, you know, postulate and get together with people and talk about that? The God of the Bible reveals himself first and foremost as the creator. But second of all, he does something even, I think, more powerful than that. He, he's the God of the promise. He makes promises, and we find out why in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, why we need a promise. He he makes this statement. He says, for all mankind, every man, every woman, every child that lived in every age and every age to come has fallen short of the glory of God. I've never met in my life somebody that says, that's not true of me. It's universally understood. I've never gone to somebody and said, so tell me about your perfection. They said, well, (laughs) ever since I can remember, I've never made a mistake. It's like, you just made one right there, man. I've never lied. It's like, you just lied. (laughs) I have never stole it in my life. It's like, let me see your tax returns. You know what I mean? And, and by, by the, I've never met one person who even tried to make the defense of their own inerrant perfection. Ever once. Have you? So we all understand that there's times we failed and people we've hurt and words we shouldn't have said and things that were wrong that were later corrected. And so the promise comes from a holy God, this creator, who says, I love you. And, and you need something to hold on to that's bigger than the atoms and the strings and the, the vibrations and the molecules and the cells. You need something that's going to last. It was there before they were created and will be there long after they're destroyed. And he gives us a promise, and he promises us this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Ancient prophets, people that were, you know, this is 3,000 years back, guys with long beards that ate bugs, you know what I mean, that lived out in the wilderness and could audibly hear the voice of God began to write down what they heard, And and universally, throughout all these writings of different centuries, under different kings, different rules, but still the same God speaking to mankind, these prophecies came that said, one of these days, I'm going to give you more than just laws. I'm going to give you a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed one who will come and will show you the way. He'll live perfectly before your eyes and he will show you the perfect way to live. The God of creation, the God of the promise, but also the God of salvation. In the fullness of time, God sent his Son, and he became uh, as we are. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. Strange way to start. In the beginning was the Word, something spoken, something written, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, in the beginning, everything that was made was made through him. So we understand the word is, is a person, not a spoken thing. It's a, it's a promise. It's, it's more than that. It's the vibrating particles of string theory that become substance. And it says that in verse 14, the first chapter of John. he says, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we've gotten the chance to behold his mankind, his glory, the one, the only son of the living God. And we got a chance to see him. By the time we get to John chapter 3, he tells us the reason why. He says, because God loves you and God loves me and God loves every living soul that has ever existed so much that the thought of forever without you was unthinkable and so he did the unimaginable. He takes on flesh, he dwells among us, he lives a sinless life and in doing so, he defeats, and I love this part of the gospel, he defeats everything that ever defeated me. You ever, you ever and I know this is base, but you ever played a video game and you could get past level seven? Anyone ever feel like your life is a video game? Like, I just seem, I can't seem to get past this one place. I trust and I get hurt. I, I love and I get betrayed. I, I try and I fail. I, I do, but I don't succeed. I, I, just, I, I just feel like sometimes, like, I just can't get past level 7. How I many you guys are old enough to remember Miss Pac-Man? Are, are you so young enough to raise your hand? Yes, I see that hand. Right? Like, there was just certain things you couldn't get past because those, those darn little ghost things while you're going after the cherry and the banana and the orange. Are you still with me? Is the illustration holding? And no matter what you did, you went this way and that way and up and down, and somehow I always nailed you. I gotta I gotta tell you, that describes in many ways the secular pattern of failure in humanity, does it not? How many times do we fail? And so we don't need a coach. We don't need another teacher, we don't even need a miracle worker. We need a miracle, we need a savior. God keeps his promise by sending his son to live in the flesh and defeat every level that ever defeated us. And then he goes to that thing right there, and he hangs for three hours, suspended between heaven and earth, nailed to it. You say, Jim, this is Easter. This is Christmas Eve. We're supposed to be jingling our bells and, you know, riding reindeer. Like, what do you, you get? Just hear me. Because if Jesus is just a baby in a manger, then we're still all lost. But if he grows up and lives a sinless life and defeats everything that defeated us and then dies in our place and extends to us his victory as a gift, then we have a reason to celebrate the birth of the Messiah. And that's exactly what's happened. Now, here's the one thing that you may or may not know. Theoretical physicists are still trying to understand how something that's so minute could be the most foundational element of all creation because that small, there should be no substance even with the trillions and, trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of them to create, you know, one small thing, there's still space between them. How could, how could something that viscous actually become a solid, become iron, become steel, become a diamond? It makes no sense. That's why it's just theoretical. Nobody's proven it mathematically yet. It's just, we just got this feeling that it's got to be cyclical in some way. It's got to be a string. And, it, and it, somehow something holds it all together and we have no idea what that force could possibly be. I know what that force is. I know his name. His name is Jesus Christ. And here's the one thing that holds all of this together. It's not the flawless theology of man. It's not the inerrant writings in the ancient scrolls and parchments. It can't be. It's not my intellectual argument to get you to consider the claims of Christ. It's not the local church and how it helps children around the world and next door. The one thing that makes us all not just plausible not just possible, but the promise fulfilled is this. The one thing that holds it all together is love. It's not strings. It's not vibrations. It's not some unseen element that that doesn't allow it to decay and just fall apart or explode or implode. The one thing that makes it all work is love. And this is what has to come home to your heart today more than just your mind. If you were the only person God ever created, you were his Adam, you were his Eve, and you needed his help, he would still move heaven and earth to come to your side and rescue you. He would still send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on an ugly, awful, torturous cross for your sins. He would still allow Jesus to come and live a perfect life before that which was lost, that which was consumed with guilt and shame. He would still reach out with a holy hand and say, I choose you today. And I'm here to tell you guys, That love is the difference between religion and relationship. That love is the difference between theory and theology. That that love is what holds it all together. It's not the strings. It's his heart. God, for some unknown reason, has chosen to love us. I know there are times when he doesn't feel like loving me. Now, you, you say, I don't know if that's true or not. He's a big guy. Wait, Jesus is in the garden facing the cross. He's, he's sweating great drops of blood, praying to his father, saying, I don't want to do this. He didn't do it because he felt like it. He did it because love compelled him to do no less. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're a grandparent, you know it ten times. Because there's nothing I wouldn't do for my sons, nothing I wouldn't do for my wife. Nothing I wouldn't do for Hollis James Wiegand, my perfect grandchild. That kid at four wants the keys to my pickup truck. They are his. And grandma will have to say no. Can I get an amen? It's his love. If it took more than one time to rescue you from your sins and me from my sins, he'd have done it twice. If it took more than twice, he'd do it 10 times. If it took more than 10 times, he'd do it a million times. If it took more than that, Jesus would have died on the cross a hundred billion times because of love. When I was, uh, I was 16 years old, I went to a concert, and the gospel, at least in my mind, it was understood for the very first time in my heart. And I, I remember how it, it related so closely to something. Uh, I wasn't born into a religious home. My dad was an atheist. I wasn't you know, raised in church or had any, any Christmas traditions. Only Christmas tradition I had was the torture my grandmother would put us through by making us stay up till midnight and watch a guy named Baryshnikov in the tightest pants ever created dance the nutcracker ballet and she would make these hors d'oeuvres with Triscuits and Spam. I remember thinking, you know, the only thing that makes this worth it is tomorrow Santa Claus is coming to town, you know. In the single wide in Key Largo, Florida, there it was, you know. I remember when I was uh, in elementary school, we had the last trip of the year. I tell you this story because I think it applies to you. We went on something called the Bablo Boat. You have to be about 50 years old to even know what the Bablo Boat is. A lot of over 50-year-old people here. And we, we took the trip out to Bablo Island, which is probably kind of like a county fair, but it was open 12 days a year, you know. And we took the Bablo boat down. And I remember this is a girl that I like. Her name was Tammy. And I, I wanted her to be my girlfriend. Now, I don't know what a 10-year-old's idea of a girlfriend is. I just remember she was the first girl that didn't quite have the same cooties that the other ones did. And on the way there, there was like the upper deck was reserved for dancing. And there was fast dancing and there was slow dancing. And, but there were boys and girls. That's what caught my attention. And I, I remember watching couples and I thought, you know, I, I just went around all day trying to kind of be around her. And, you know, on the Wildcat, get in line, try to be to her because it's a two-person ride. And I sit next to her, but somebody always cut in. And we're back on the boat and we stop at Wyandout, We're on our way back to Detroit. So there's just this little bit of time. They actually say, this is the last dance and we're going to slow it down. I thought, this is it. Now, Duck Lake Elementary School was, you know, the typical Michigan, Highland, Michigan school. All the boys were on one side of the boat. All the girls were on the other side of the boat. The dance floor was in the middle with people that were dancing, but not a boy and not a girl. And I just thought, you know, it's summer vacation, which I guess guys remember when summer vacation lasted 10 years? It wasn't the three weeks we get nowadays. It was like forever. It was an eternity. I'm going to a different junior high than she's going to go to. I'll never see her again. This is the only chance I have. And all alone, I walked across the deck of that boat And the girls are starting to whisper, "What's he? What's he?" he?" You gotta understand, fat kid glasses. I don't know what they were saying, but it wasn't like, "Hey, here he comes." It's like, "Oh dear God, here he comes." But I I waddled, I walked across the boat, I walked up to her, and I put my hand out there and I said, "Tammy." She said, "Yes." And here's here's the risk. Would you like to dance with me? And she said, after the eternal pause. Yes, I'd like to dance with you. She took me by the hand. We walked to the center of the dance floor with all 47 students of Duck Lake Elementary's eyes fixed on us. She put her arms around my neck. She looked into my eyes. And then, and only then, did I have a very special sort of revelation I don't know how to dance. <laughs> Never occurred to me she'd say yes. This doesn't happen in the movies. So her arms are on my neck, and she's waiting, and my hands are at my side. And I thought, well, I'll just do what she's doing. So I put my hands around her neck. (laughs) This is a very hurtful story to me, and you're all laughing. And all of a sudden, we had this Greco-Roman moment where we weren't quite sure who had the advantage. And this is what she said to me. She put her hands down. She took a step back. She said, oh, you don't even know how to dance. And she walked away and left me standing in the middle of the floor with every eye like elementary looking at me. I walked back to the other side, and I think that was the first time I actually had my heart broken never experienced the death of a pet, never, you know what I mean? I remember that, that sense of, wow, I don't think I'll ever risk again. And I tell you that story because I, I think if we confuse relationship with Christianity or we confuse love with Catholicism or Lutheranism or Assembly Godism or Baptism or Ismism, I think by the time we, we define what all the rules are, we, we forget that really what this is, is the God of creation, the God of the promise, the God of salvation crossed the dance floor of heaven to earth, put out his hand and simply said this, you dance with me I actually like you I'm not tolerating you I actually love you I've actually watched you from before the foundations of the earth waiting for this moment where my hand went out and that eternal pause of waiting was met by yes I'll dance with you can we just for a moment make it so much less complicated than we've made it if, if you see Scripture in the 0.001% of the 0.001% of the Bible, of the 0.001% of just this moment, I think if you walk away from Christmas Eve like that oh, was traditional and I sang my hams and I ate my cookies and I got to see friends I haven't seen since Easter, like that's cool. But I think what God had in mind for this moment was that he would cross one reality into this reality and an invisible hand would be extended to you in relationship and invitation. And just says, would you dance with me? Would you just dance with me? obedience will come. Just dance with me. Let me lead, but just dance with me. Holiness will come, but just dance with me. You'll you'll learn my word, but just dance with me. You'll learn my heart, but just dance with me. It doesn't start with perfection. It starts with a dance that is only perfect because he's the one that sees it as perfect. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect son, the perfect God, the perfect offering for the imperfect man in a perfect love to be perfected over time as we dance. Would you close your eyes all over this room on christmas eve 2017 father i pray that today as the lights come up a little bit in this room i remember what it was like it didn't last long but i remember what it was like when tammy nodded her head and smiled shyly and looked at her feet and extended her hand and said yes i'll dance with you i pray that in this room today people would say yes to the invitation to not be religious not an invitation to be perfect an invitation to learn how to dance. Will you dance with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. All over this room today, if you're like, Jim, I didn't know this. I, honestly, I've gotten lost in all this stuff or I was raised in something, I, I didn't know this. It's, it's new to me. Can, I, thank you for simplifying it, but I, I guess I'm sitting here now going, if it's that simple, my answer is yes. I'm, and I'm, not, saying, I'm not saying, listen, pray this prayer, you'll go to heaven. I, I'm simply saying is this, there's an invitation that must be met with someone that says Yes. That yes, that that invitation is, is fruitless until faith meets it and it becomes what it was intended to be, a promise kept because someone extended their hand and said yes. And we're gonna do that today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around, but you're in this room. Christmas Eve 2017, it's time to stop running from God. It's time to stop worrying about your perfection. He is perfect enough for both of you. The invitation is simple, it's loving, it's kind, it's pure, it's innocent, it's beautiful, it's powerful. Will you dance with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and I come to three of that you. Yeah, I'm in. I'm done running. I'm done feeling guilty. I'm done, you know, worrying about my religious problem. I'm done trying to be a good enough person to go to a perfect heaven, which is impossible. Heaven's not for good people, by the way. Hell's not for bad people. Heaven is for forgiven people, people that said yes to the offer of mercy and relationship. In other words, those who say, yeah, I'd love to dance with you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and I come to three. If you want this today, I'm going to close my, with a simple prayer. I want to lead you in. Believers are praying all over this room. Right now, it's packed. Jim, I, I want this. My answer to God today is going to be yes. If that's you, and I come to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, all over this room. Come on, start praying, guys. Two, God, do what only you can do in this place. Make it so real. Beyond our words and our music, God, please touch our hearts. All over this room. This is you. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Between you and God. Eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. Here we go. Ready? three. Lift your hand up all over this room right now. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Lift him up high. I'm not ashamed of this. I want this. I will dance with you, God. God of creation. God of the promise. God of salvation. I give you my life. My answer is yes. And if you want to lead me across the dance floor or across the globe, I'm just going to hold on to this hand and you lead. Many hands went up today. I'm, I'm just so happy. I pray that this Christmas has a completely different meaning to you than any previous Christmas in your life. Right now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask God to open your eyes and your hearts to this beautiful, eternal, powerful truth. Pray this with me right now. If you don't know what to say, I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. If you don't know what to say, forget what I'm doing. You just start dancing, and you let him lead. You you say whatever his heart wants to hear, and you'll know it. If you know what to say, say it. But if you don't, let me just kind of give you a shove. You can pop the clutch, and the engine will start, and you can take off down the road. Here we go. You ready? Say this with me. Jesus. I need you I want to answer that question my answer is yes I will dance with you for the rest of my life for the rest of eternity I'm in you win I surrender and now I win forgive my sins give me a clean slate a fresh start let this whole thing be birthed in your love and sustained by your love from this day forward I belong to you you belong to me now teach me to dance and I'll see you soon <laughs> amen amen